I experienced a really wide range of emotion in prepping for this text. So I work on about a four-week rotation in regards to prepping, and I won't go to all the details now, but probably three weeks ago, I just noticed my heart was really churning with things related to this text and preaching it and explaining it and just letting it kind of absorb us and be under its weight. Uh, most of them were really good memories. They were just fantastic uh, emotions. As I thought about the joy we had just raising children. We loved having kids at home. Uh, we sincerely believe, and we've taught you this, children are a treasure from the Lord. They're a heritage. And just studying this, these verses brought back so many memories um, of our kids being home and the joy we had with them, both in the young years and especially, I think, uh, the teenage years. Just, um, you know, they were a real gift to our family. At the same time that I was experiencing the joy of that, there are just the moments you're like, man, I, I wish I'd have done some things different. Like, just wasn't always a great dad, you know? Sometimes you have those moments where you're like, boy, if I could undo that or if I could redo that. Am I the only guy in the room thinking that? Or can other dads just nod and say, yeah? Or maybe moms too, right? And so I had this like conflicting range, like, wow, I loved those years. And like, oh, I hope they, uh, you know, know my heart in that. And just kind of back and forth. And in the midst of all that, I thought about the great gift that God gave me and my parents and just the beautiful mom and dad um, that I was so just sovereignly uh, placed in their home. I mean, we have no choice about where we're born or whose parents are ours or anything, you know? And God was just so gracious and uh, they're real heroes of mine. I've talked about them often, love my mom and dad. And so all of these emotions and just... Um, you know, highs and lows and, and great memories and some regrets and just like, man, I, I'm not sure how to, sometimes how to handle all that. You just kind of, you feel flooded. I think in moments like that, it's helpful to kind of uh, have a North Star, if I could use that phrase. Or maybe like you're in an ocean, maybe you're a ship and you're just like, wow, there's a lot of stuff around me. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, ocean, yet there's also rocks and you have all these a potential for really great things as well as like maybe a potential for danger. And so then there's this lighthouse that just a single beam of light says, go this way. I think that's what these verses do for us. These four verses in Ephesians 6, they, they serve as like a North Star for families. Kind of a lighthouse. Like when there's a lot of things in the ocean around you, beauty and splendor and majesty and yet also danger, you're like, Where's the singular light we can go towards? I think these verses do that. And they've been a real joy to me in the last two to three weeks as I've meditated on them and I look forward to kind of unpacking them with you. It will be somewhat plain today. I trust every week's kind of plain as we just unpack the scriptures and obey it together. But this will be unusually plain and you may think at times, well, it's not really aimed at me, but I'll review and echo what Travis said last week. We're going to learn a lot about God in these verses that technically address children and fathers. So don't tune out because you're not a child or a father. Hang in there with us and let's learn some things about God and especially about families that I think will point to even a greater family. So let's read these verses. Can we Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4? Follow along with me. The Bible says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We will model the tone of this text by being very plain because the text is very plain. Is it not, church? He addresses two groups, children and fathers. And he says in a very imperatival fashion, um, just in a very matter-of-factly tone, here's two things children should do. Here's one thing fathers should do. So it's quite plain and to the point. Let's tackle those together, can we? First of all, notice that the children here, which by the way, notice that he is directly addressing the children in the text. He's not saying, hey, moms and dads, tell your children to obey you. He doesn't say that. You ever notice this in the text? Maybe you've just kind of missed it. But he's actually saying children. So he is assuming children are in the hearing of the word of God in this first century. So let's continue to give the children of this church the direct word of God. Amen, church? Whether in this room, whether with you today, perhaps in our children's ministry, let's not just only speak to the parents and through the parents. Let's do that, yes, but let's speak to the children. Here they are in the direct hearing of the word of God read in this church in this letter from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says directly to children, obey your parents in the Lord and then honor your father and mother. So children in the room, turn your ears this way. Look this way. And I want to just talk to you for a bit about the two things that the Bible calls you to do. First of all, the Bible calls you to obey. The word simply means to hear and to do. I would remind you of this just from some history and language that in the Old and New Testament cultures, the idea of hearing and doing carries a lot more weight than I think our culture gives it credit. In fact, in the Old Testament especially, you could never say you heard someone if you didn't actually do what they said. There was a different word for that, but the actual word here in the Old Testament means implicitly, oh, you did what they said. So when in the Old Testament it talks about hearing the words of the Lord or hear the Lord your God, the automatic assumption is you're going to do this. That's carried over, of course, in the New Testament. Let us have ears to hear, we're told several times. It means to have the kind of heart that says, I'll hear and I will do it. So this is what's contained in the word, obey your parents and children, whether it's teenagers who are 18 or elementary kids who are eight, before, after, in between those ages, this is your one word goal while you're at home. I'll be just transparently plain. Paul cuts through all the noise. He's the singular lighthouse. He's the, uh, you know, the North Star. There's a lot you should do, you could do, yes, but here's what you have to do as a child, obey your parents, hear and do what they ask you to, to do. Of course, you're to do this in the Lord. Notice he says you're to honor your father and mother. Some would say this is just a, a way to repeat obey and to kind of bring further weight to it. I think it's a different command, and I base it on the use of the word honor, which has a financial root to it. It means to use your resources in the life of another. It means to bring your financial capacity to the table. So that's something that you do while you're alive to your parents. So what I see in this, in this verse is really a, a two 
um, I'll say two commands. One while you're home and one while you're away. Every child in the room, listen to me, that every child's still at home. We're all children, granted. But every child's still at home, listen to me. While you're at home, your job is to obey your parents. Once you leave your home, your job then is to honor them, which means to bring your, when they need it, as they age and as they can't take care of themselves, is to bring any kind of help that they need. It's almost like a turning of the tables. They've cared for you and given their resources while you were at home. Now that you're away, a posture of honor is to say, hey, I'll be your first line of defense when you can't take care of yourself. That's really the gist and tone of this text. And I base it on what the two words mean, obey and honor. And so this is your goal while you're home and your goal while you're alive. Now, this inherently means that when you're not at home, you don't have to obey your parents. I think that's actually a good thing. Did you know that? That brings joy to my heart. My, our four kids, they're not responsible to obey me and Julie any longer. They're their own boss, so to speak. They have their own families. Um, that's the way it works. They've removed themselves from our authority. They now have, under God's authority, their own authority. But our four kids do have a responsibility as we age, and at some point, we will not be able to probably care for ourselves in some fashion, they're our first line of defense. In our culture, we tend to think that's the government, but that's not biblical. The government's not mine and Julie's first line of defense. Could it be a help? Sure. But the Bible speaks, both Old and New Testaments, how the family is actually the first line of defense. And when it comes to parents, it's children who should honor them by helping take care of them when they can't take care of themselves. This also speaks, by the way, while I'm on this subject, of who really owns children. It's first of all God, and then it's the parents. It's not the government. It's not the state. And so the choices and the decisions and the things about your home aren't in Washington or Des Moines. They're at your local address under the Lord's authority. So there's just some really wonderful implications and explicit statements here regarding children in the home. Their job is, and kids, listen, your one word goal while you're at home is to what? Say it with me. Starts with an O. Obey. Obey. Great. I'm not saying that's always easy to do. I will say this. It's not hard to understand what to do. Four letters, just obey. But when you leave home, you still have an obligation to honor your parents. And that's something that you can do the whole time you're alive. Now, notice a couple of modifiers here about these two commands to children. I call them directional modifiers. In regards to the word honor, there's a, a modifier that looks back. That's the direction it looks. Because he's looking back at the law, isn't he? Do you notice what he says? He says, honor your parents. And he says, this is the first commandment with a promise, meaning this is rooted in and based on something God gave in the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments, which was precisely this, that you would live long in the land if you honor your father and mother. It's the sixth commandment, but the promise that went with it was part of the blessings and cursings explained in the, of the law, that God said this basically, if you will obey me, I will bless you. It was part of the Mosaic Covenant, that law that described to Israel how they should relate to God. It wasn't a salvific covenant. This was more of a sanctifying relational covenant. 
And he explained in this how they were to relate to God. And the general principle here is obedience brings blessing. And Paul now is extrapolating that out beyond just Israel. He's saying now to God's people in general, here's how, the, here's how it works. You obey God by obeying and honoring your parents and then God will bless you for that. Now don't turn that into a long pole and twist it and try to leverage God it's a general principle rooted in the law, which, by the way, the law was given to reflect the character of God. So what do we learn about God through this command to children? That God honors obedience through blessing. So kids, can I just encourage you and motivate you that every time you obey your parents and you honor them and you, and you show submission to God's kind of rule of authority, his structure then you're actually doing what's mentioned in verse one. You're obeying your parents in the Lord or you're honoring them in the Lord. You're making the vertical responsibility more important and rightly so than the horizontal responsibility. The other modifier, of course, is the phrase in verse one, in the Lord, speaking to children's obedience. This is more of a upward direction. So the honor word kind of looks back to the law and God's character. Here, this one looks vertical, looks upward to God. And I think the implication is this, that for children really to obey in the way that's most fruitful or most rewarding or most satisfying or most effective, there has to be a relationship with the Lord. So let's just kind of put all the cards on the table here and, and speak to our children continuously here by saying this. If you find obedience to your parents to be a struggle, if it's just a constant battle for you to obey your God-given authority in your home, your problem may not be with your parents. Your problem may be with God. Whether you're 10 or 15 or just ready to head out from high school to college, if it's a consistent, ongoing battle with your parents and you just can't submit to obeying them, you may have to deal with some things vertically first. So let me just ask all the children in the room, how is your relationship with God? If you're a believer, how is that relationship? How is your walk with and in the Lord? That really should fuel your relationship to your mom and dad. That's how you obey in the Lord. So just some simple words there about this simple command to children. Again, Two things children got to do. If you're a kid in the room, will you review with me? While you're at home, one word, say it. And then while you're alive, one word. See, that's the North Star. That's the, that's the lighthouse. It's a lot to think about, a lot to do, a lot, to, a lot of emotions. But hey, just two words. We can do this, all right? Now let's, let's talk to fathers for a bit. Because he, he mentions that next. Verse four, fathers, he gives you a a single command, but I think it's two-sided. There's a negative thing not to do, and there's a positive thing to do. So children have, I think, two commands. Fathers have one. Notice what it is. It's this one-sided, it's two-sided coin, two-sided goal. Do not provoke, but instead build them up or bring them up. This is, fathers, your two-sided goal while your children are at home. And I might correct that a bit, you still can have influence and be leading your children 
by your life and the way you live it, even after they're gone. But you don't have really authority in those situations, okay? So I'm not saying reduce your influence and example. But I am saying, when I say at home, I'm talking about these children that are under your authority and under your roof. Here the Bible specifically says not to provoke them to anger and instead to bring them up. So let's talk a bit about that, can we? What is that we're not to do? What's this one side. It just really means not to exasperate your kids, not to frustrate them. And my sense of the verse is this. I'm just going to kind of walk you through some reasoning that we make while we study the Bible. Much of verse four is about bringing children up in the discipline and correction and instruction of the Lord. So there's this sense in Paul's mind that there's a process in place that's both positive and negative. We correct, we instruct, uh, we train. So I think he's, that's in his head. So when he says, hey, fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. Don't exasperate them. He's probably thinking that that occurs mostly in times of discipline and punishment. That's my personal opinion. I think it's pretty reasonably sound. You can disagree. We'll stay great friends. No problem. But I think this does happen mostly in times of correction. And in fact, if you were to press on me pretty hard, I would say it typically happens with men in times of correction and with their words. Now, not every man's wired this way. I realize that. Sometimes women are wired this way. But generally speaking, I think fathers, because they have the responsibility to make sure that they're pointing their home to the Lord, this could be a point of frustration if that's not occurring well. Now, in light of what I just said about fathers being the leaders in pointing the way, this does not necessarily mean that children don't have to obey moms or they're not involved. Look at uh, verse 1. The children are called to obey parents, plural. You see that? So this is a mom and dad thing here. However, when he specifically mentions fathers in verse 4, I think what Paul is doing is this. He's singling out the one who ultimately must point and lead the way. And in a word, that person is the three-letter word, dad. So dads, will you give me the same ears and eyes your kids gave me a few minutes ago? And can we talk? just face-to-face. -face. Don't frustrate your kids in times of discipline. Don't keep pressing in and pushing and cornering when the message is already pretty clear. When you do, you're exasperating. You'll probably have an adverse effect. You'll actually get the very thing you don't want because you continue to kind of press on the wound, which is open. And instead of trying to bandage it or heal it, you, know, you just kind of keep leaning in and, and applying weight. That's the point of this exasperation language. And so the child then actually resorts to anger instead of um, positive action. Let me give you a spiritual equivalent to help this make sense. I don't think it's hard to understand, but I'm going to kind of continue to kind of lean in here, okay? I don't want to exasperate you, dads, but I want to make sure we're plain. In 2 Corinthians 2, there's an interesting um, story about how the church at Corinth, after it disciplined an individual, was now needing to come along and forgive the individual in the same fashion, in other words, just as corporately, and as publicly as they disciplined them. It's 2 Corinthians 2. I think around verses 6 and 7, the indication is that the person repented. And now to bring them back into the church, Paul says this, you should now forgive this person 
Meaning, in the same way you disciplined, now just as intentionally forgive them, and then this phrase, lest they be overcome with sorrow. Like, that's an interesting phrase. That if the church didn't take intentional public steps to show forgiveness just as they did with discipline, the person might be exasperated and overcome and never really return. That's a spiritual equivalent of what's being said here in the physical family. Dads, there is the danger that in your discipline, you can lean in so hard and you can press and you can overemphasize to the point that suddenly you actually get the opposite of what you're after. So don't provoke to anger. Now, if there are some dads here, this is your tendency. And let me just rephrase that. This is your sinful tendency. I know I struggled with this. I'm thankful that the Lord, through my wife especially, just continually grew me, sanctified me, and gave me victory. I, I often thank our older two. They got the least sanctified version of me and Julie, I'll tell you. <laughs> I pray that, you know, uh, anyway, I'll leave that there. Uh, Brandon Brooke, you know, it tended to get a little better, thankfully. Here's what Julie would do a lot of times. And, and I, I know I've disobeyed this text, and I regret that. I, I know my kids have memories of words I've said that I wish I could just take back. But at times, we'd be behind the counter. Let's say we're fixing some food, or we're talking, or maybe we're having a kind of an eye-to-eye conversation across the counter. And I'm trying to lay out, like, what happened, what needs to change, where we're going to go. And then I lay it out again, and I lay it out again, and I'm laying it out again. It's like... And then Julie would, sometimes she would just kind of behind the counter, just kind of patting on the leg. Like, I think they get the point. And she never embarrassed me, but she'd remind me, hey, I, I think we're on the same page here already. Um, my wife's extremely patient. She's very clear-headed. Uh, she has a thousand opinions, by the way, on about everything. She's not um, opinionless, but she has no real need to voice them. She's very content, very patient. She's really would never ever want to say a word in public ever. But um, she most of the time will know exactly what to do. And that's been such a uh, help to me. The guy who thinks he knows what to do and wants to tell everybody. <laughs> um, so she would often behind the counter just tap me and say, hey, I, I think we're, we're hedging towards a line that won't be helpful. Like they're going to take the opposite stance if we don't just back this truck up. Sometimes she'd be behind the kids, like maybe they're coming down the stairs and we're talking and maybe it's more of a sudden thing. I'm like, what's going on with that? And she'd be behind them and so I'd kind of begin to kind of lean in and engage and she'd be there going, like, you know, just nicely saying, we get the point. If you're a wife and you have a husband who has those sinful tendencies and has to battle that and pray that God will keep sanctifying him, I just want to encourage you to partner up with him and help him. Don't embarrass him. Don't sabotage him, but do help him and have talks about that, okay? Because you, you don't want your children at the end of the day to have the opposite effect of what you're after. So dads, here's the instruction to us. Commit to not badgering, exasperating, and continuing to put a finger in an open wound. Instead, he says here to feed them or nourish them. This is the word for bring them up. You know, often we think about the nourishment of a home or the feeding of a home, and we always run to the mothers, which is great and good. 
But here Paul uses that word to describe the role of the father in being the one who's pointing the way and saying, here's the kind of nourishment and food I want to bring to the table. It's the food that consists of the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice, both children and, and dads here have a vertical responsibility. And so, dads, your job is not to get angry with them and keep exasperating them so where they get angry, but your job instead is to feed them and nourish them, build them up. Don't light them up, build them up, right? Bring them up. It's this process of, what's this? Discipline and instruction. I think these two words would kind of be words that would um, summarize really what we do um, as a whole. One's kind of a positive word, one's a negative word. One does kind of have the idea of correcting. The other idea has the word of, of teaching. But often we think that our role is just, to, is just punishment only. And so we have a punitive mindset. But I'd remind you, the Bible does not know punitive punishment only. It's kind of a repetitious phrase there. But it doesn't know only punitive uh, type of action. In other words, the Bible always, when it relates to punishment and corrections, always got restoration as the goal. It's true for spiritual discipline from the Lord. It's true for church discipline. It's true for family discipline. So we're not saying, hey, you messed up, so, you know, here's your punishment. Hope you live through it. A punitive type of thinking is not healthy. There should instead be the kind of thinking that says, okay, there there are consequences, but here's the way we're going to expunge the wrong behavior. We're going to establish the right behavior, and I want to correct that and establish the right kind of living. It's restorative. It's corrective. It's instructive. I think oftentimes a, a language that exacer, exacerbates and um, provokes is the kind of language that only deals with all the things that were wrong. and doesn't really point out, hey, here's what's right. Here's the action to take, and we're going to go this direction. This is what's meant by the words discipline and instruction. It's, it's the idea of correction and training. By the way, some of these words are used to describe the effect the Word of God has on us. I think it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that every word of God's inspired is good for training and for instruction. So God's asking fathers here to take the lead and point the way by, yes, showing what's wrong, then showing what's right, and then leading the way to do that. And notice that all of this instruction, this discipline, this correction, it must be of the Lord. How tragic would it be if all we ever raised were good mathematicians or good mechanics, how tragic would it be, how sad would it be if we only had good accountants or sports uh, you know, announcers or hunters or fishermen? Name your hobby. Nothing sinful about those. But if that's all we know, if that's all we're pointing at, we're missing the mark of Ephesians 6.4. Hey, dads, your primary goal should be to instruct your children in the ways of the Lord. Which means, if you're like, Todd, I don't know how to do that. Well, let's get you instructed, right? Let's make sure that you're being trained so you can pass that on to your children and they can pass it on to their children. Man, just leave me a note today. Text me, email me. We'll do all we can to get you connected to someone We'll find a way in your small group or three different ministries to get you the kind of instruction and training so you can get your kids focused that way. See, I'm amazed, and just hear this out in all of its pastoral transparency. I'm amazed the amount of energy some dads put 
into so many hobbies and then find it so difficult to put any energy into things of the Lord. I'm, I'm just amazed at that. Dads who say, yeah, we're Christian. We're part of a church. And yet they, 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 they seem to think that spiritual discipline instruction has little value. But Paul told Timothy that it's physical exercise that has little value. But godliness has value for all things. So am I saying quit the soccer team, quit the dance class, don't go hunting? I'm not saying that. I'm saying embrace the fact that you can do more than one thing at a time. You can hunt and follow God, okay? You can fish, play soccer, be in the dance class, and be a disciple of Christ. It takes balancing your calendar. It takes emphasizing the right things. It takes making hard choices and decisions at times. But whatever you do, don't neglect your faith because you think you've only got a few short years to make sure they get all the experiences a kid needs. That's a terrible way to think. Instead, embrace your responsibility to raise your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, as you think about these types of things, I think um, this children, this, this dad, this, this whole um, group of commands, we begin to kind of realize something, that what emerges when these things occur is what we would call a, a godly home. And I say that to you because often we hear the phrase godly home and we have some elusive concept like, what does that look like? What do they act like? And it seems impossible to grasp. I would submit to you today, here's a picture of a godly home. Children who are willing to obey and do, and then dads who are willing to lead the way and point the way by making spiritual training of utmost importance. When that's in place, watch this, listen very carefully. You have the elements for a godly home. Now it still takes a ton of forgiveness a lot of long walks and long talks, repeat, uh, excuse me, reset, redos, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, forgive me. I mean, it, all that's part of this. Godly homes aren't homes that never experience problems or difficulties or mistakes or sins. They're those, though, who know what to do with them when they happen and are committed to this, to this um, simple set of instructions where children obey and fathers don't provoke but bring them up. And they set the tone and they set the lead for that home. And my, my guess is, if I were to go around to dads and moms in the room and say, hey, do you want a godly home? It would be unanimous. You guys would be, of course we do. Here's the, the simplicity of this text. With all that's going on in the culture, even in the Christian culture, you're on the sea, you've got a thousand things that are beautiful and you've got some real danger points. Or you've got a flood of emotion, you think about families. This is the North Star. Here's the lighthouse, the singular beam. Children, obey and honor. Dads, don't provoke, but bring them up. Those are the two things we've got to get our hands around today. When those are in place, you begin to realize, man, our home is more Christ-like. It's a godly home. That's why I put this take-home truth in these simple words, which points to the fact that there's a vertical Relationship first, and then there's a horizontal effect second. I word it like this. Healthy parent 
child relationships. And I use those terms explicitly because if I were to say to you, a godly home, some of you'd kind of just tune me out. You'd say, oh, who knows what that is? That's just some preacher home. Or that's a deacon home. Or that's in the, in, in the books. No, a godly home is just a home where there's healthy parent-child relationships that are, first of all, what's this? Founded upon a vertically spiritual focus. The kids know they're obeying in the Lord. The dad knows he's instructing and training in the ways of the Lord. And so everyone's focused vertically. When that occurs, then that's expressed in horizontally biblical action, such as, watch this, obeying and honoring, not provoking and bringing up. If you just take the actions and say, okay, I'm gonna put them into practice and you have no walk with God, no relationship with the Lord, um, you know, this is not like some formula that you sell at some seminar. This is the expressions of a relationship. And children, that's why it's most important you have a relationship with God. Dads and moms, the same for you. There needs to be a vertical focus in the home and the dad's the one ultimately responsible to make sure that focus is vertical. When that occurs and then it's expressed in this fashion of obedience and honor and not provoking and building up, you have what we would call a godly home. In all of its rawness and reality, all of its uh, efforts and trials and um, mistakes and victories and successes and all of those things, you have people who say, man, we're, we're chasing after God and we're gonna obey and honor and we're not gonna provoke and we're gonna build up and when we don't do that, well, we're gonna repent and forgive and we're gonna go at it again. That's a godly home. That's the lighthouse with a single beam. That's the North Star for every family in this room. Will you read this with me just as a way to kind of help it blanket us better and kind of settle in on us? Together, here's our take-home truth from these four verses. Together, healthy parent-child relationships are founded upon a vertically spiritual focus and then expressed in horizontally biblical actions. Let me land this plane by having you think a little deeper with me just for a few more moments. I'm gonna take you a few feet under. Because for Paul to give us these commands indicates to me something that your family on this earth, your physical family is essential. I mean, Paul intentionally clarified things for us, didn't he? He simplified because he wants your home to work in the best way possible. And so he intentionally clarified and simplified. Meaning to me, I think he's saying that environment is extremely essential. It's critically essential. But here's what it's not. You listening? Your physical earthly home is not eternal. It is essential. I'm not downplaying the fact that it matters. But it's not eternal. In the kingdom of God, when it's fully realized on the earth, and we pray, Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We await the revelation of Jesus Christ when he will bring to consummation the kingdom that has already at least begun. When that occurs, uh, there will be no giving in marriage. 
There won't be fathers, sons, mothers, daughters. There'll be God as the father and we'll all be brothers and sisters in Christ. So watch this. And this is a hard thing to get your hands around. And it can be emotional from a lot of angles for people. The, fa the family that's most important is your spiritual family. It's God's family because it's eternal. It's not saying yours isn't important. Yours is essential for the raising of children, for the sanctification of, of husbands and wives. Yes, but it will one day end. When it does, here's the family that will never end, God's family. In fact, consider this for a moment. If you have little children with you in the room this morning, that those little ones you're sitting with, when God's kingdom comes to earth in its full form at the revelation of Jesus Christ, those kids you call son and daughter will actually be your brother and sister in that family. I sometimes have to think about that with our grandkids. I remember when our kids were little, like, that's just gonna be weird, but that's how it's gonna be then. And so as you think about this, I think um, it's incumbent upon us to realize that that's something more important. So kids, obey your earthly father for the few years you're at home because it's really a training ground for how to obey your earthly father for your whole life. You see, that's really the more important obedience. I'm not downplaying earthly in-home obedience, but I'm saying it's a training ground, it's preparation for really the ultimate, more important obedience to God, your father. Hey, dads, lead and point to the Lord because you want to raise up more than just physical sons and daughters who procreate physically. You want to raise up spiritual sons and daughters who, yes, maybe they'll have kids physically, but man, they'll be reaching out to see other disciples made spiritually. They'll expand, expand the family of God. You want to raise up more than just children. You want to raise up disciples. You want to bring up just more workers for an economy. You want to bring up worshipers of God. This is why these verses have the phrases in the Lord and of the Lord. There's something much more important than just your essential family. It's the eternal one. It's God's family. And I think often we get our minds just kind of too earthly focused, too horizontally um, directed, and we've, we're not really vertically aligned with the most important family, which is God's. You see, there's something ultimately spiritual going on in your immediate physical family. What is it? It's the spiritual making of disciples in the day-to-day -day raising of children. You're raising far more than a citizen, an employee, a business person, you're raising a follower of Jesus. So whether you're a child learning to obey or a dad learning to lead, all of that is fueled by and pointed at God. And you can't obey in the Lord or bring them up in the ways of the Lord without the Lord. So my question to all of you, children and parents, do you know the Lord? It's the fundamental peace to this text if you don't I would urge you I would pastorally plead with you deal with that family first God's family
and accept Jesus Christ and his work for you on the cross as the only means of forgiveness for your sins. Establish that you belong to God's family first through repentance and faith. That will change everything in your physical family. It's the beginning point for any kind of progress or steps there. So do you know the Lord? That's the first step to take if you want to obey in the Lord or bring your kids up in the ways of the Lord. If you don't, and this morning you're experiencing the conviction of the Holy Spirit, even right there in your seat, you're like, man, I, I, I don't think I know Jesus. I've never put my faith in the gospel. I, I'm just kind of playing this game. Would you right now just cry out to God and ask him through Christ to forgive you through Jesus, his son? Say something like this. Say, Lord, I want to be in your family, the eternal one. Will you make me your son? Will you make me your daughter? Through the shed blood of your son, his sacrifice on the cross. And God, in repentance, turning from my sin, and in faith, turning to you, I believe that Jesus is your son and died for me and forgave my sin. God, I trust you and believe you. Will you save me? And God will take you from being an orphan spiritually, and he'll make you his child. Amen. And I'll just remind you, as tragic as physical orphan status is, it's eternally tragic if you're a spiritual orphan. So come to God this morning. Be in his family through the work of Christ on your behalf. That is the first step in becoming the type of child or father and mother in a godly home. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.